Indeed, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Right? That's the message of Jesus and the message that we often proclaim here. Thanks, uh, Matt and Michelle. <laughs> They're going to teach the kids now. Uh, thanks, Matt and Michelle, for uh, sharing with us. Can you uh, look to someone and say, uh, God is good, and respond by saying all the time? Can you look to someone and say that? Amen. I uh, vividly remember when I was a, a kid in elementary school, uh, one evening my mom and my brother and I went to um, some place in, in Falls Church, Virginia, and it was a magic show, uh, a Christian magician named Andre Cole was doing a magic show, and I was really excited to go. I didn't really know what to expect. Um, these days, when you think of like a magician, you have your idea in mind. Street magician, David Blaine, David Copperfield, whatever it is, they do like these super cool things. And sadly, a lot of times when you add the word Christian before any kind of a medium, uh, oftentimes it means it's going to be a little bit subpar, right? Like Christian, I don't know, movie or Christian TV show or Christian rapper, I don't know. Uh, sometimes that's a stereotype. So when I, uh, when I think about Christian magician, when you think of Christian magician, maybe you think, oh, there's going to be a little bit hokey. They're going to uh, mess up a little bit. They're going to try and pull out a rabbit. It's going to be a goat or something like that. But this guy was a real deal. He was awesome. He was just like the dude you would see on TV. He had like the black and white, like the tuxedo and the bow tie and the top hat. Um, he had a wand and, and everything. He, he looked apart, and he was doing like these crazy magic tricks, the kind of things that you see, um, you see the, the, the superstar magicians do. He was like pulling animals out of his hat. He was uh, like sneezing, and then like handkerchiefs would come out of his nose, and, and all these like crazy things were happening. He would like put a sheet over himself for like a second, and then when the sheet was pulled away, he'd have a completely different costume on. Uh, he even was able to saw a lady in half, and it was really cool. I mean, obviously, she didn't get sawed in half, but he did it, and she was still in one piece. It was magi magical, very cool thing. The whole point of that thing, Andre Cole, um, he was an evangelist. He was a Christian magician, and he was doing this in order to tell people about Jesus. And the, the, the punchline of his, of his show, at the end, his question that he asked was, was Jesus a magician <laughs> or was Jesus the Messiah? right? Magician or Messiah? And people are like, ooh, <laughs> what is he? Well, sad to say that uh, if his intended purpose was for us to be drawn to the Messiah, uh, it didn't work with me. In fact, I was drawn to the magic and I was mesmerized by it. And so after that, I was like, mom, I got to go buy a magic kit. I want to learn how to do magic and never it happened. But I thought, man, this Andre Cole guy is like something amazing, like, how could he saw that lady in half and she didn't even scream, she didn't even bleed, she didn't even get hurt, she just smiled at us and then he pulled her out as if nothing happened. How could things like that happen? It was fascinating to me. Fast forward uh, sometime later, uh, we were, uh, my parents had taken us to somebody's house, we were hanging out, they had a meet, some kind of a meeting and they had a son who was older than my brother and me and he had a deck of cards, he was like, hey, do you guys want to see a magic trick? I was like, yeah, I was all into that. I was like, yeah, show me a magic trick. He's like, here, uh, I'm going to pull out some cards. You pick a card without showing me, put it back in, and I'm going to make it come to the top of the deck. I was like, no way. There's no way that that's possible. You can't do that. And so he said, do it. Pick a card, any card. And so I picked the card. I showed it to my brother, and then we put it 
into the middle of the deck, and then he started shuffling, did all these things with it, and then he hit the deck three times, and he pulled out the card. He's like, was this your card? I was like, oh my gosh, how did he do that? I was fascinated, just completely perplexed. And then this was the most mind-blowing thing, not just not the fact that he did it, but here's what blew my mind about it. He looked at me and he said, do you want me to teach you how you can do it now? I was like, no way. There's no way. You have these moments in life that just kind of blow your mind where your conception of what reality is becomes just completely obliterated when you see that there's more to the reality than you thought. When he said, you could do this also, I said, there's no way that somebody like me could do something like that. There, there's no way that I could do magic the way that you did, the way that Andre Cole did. And when he began to teach me how to do it, all of a sudden, I thought, wow, this is something completely different. It's a completely different reality that I was entering into. That what I thought only my heroes and superstars could do, he was now making it available to me and said, you could do these kinds of things. What I want to do this morning is I want to bring the heroes of Scripture, at least one of them, down to our level to help us to see in this series about who we are as a congregation, to help us to see what the Bible wants us to see about ourselves and about the heroes that we oftentimes look to, and to bring it back into our lives and to see how these heroes that we worship are actually a lot more uh, similar to us than we think. What are we? Who are we as a congregation? We are a church that prays, and what I want to help us to see is that through people just like you and me, um, God has routinely and will continually uh, change the world and do things that are beyond our understanding. We're going to look at James chapter 5. We're going to read verses 17 and 18. But I want to lead into it by reading the last sentence in, in verse 16. James chapter 5, verse 16, the last sentence. And then we're going to look at verses 17 and 18 as we continue um, a fourth week looking at who are we as a congregation. This is James chapter 5, uh, verse 16, the last verse, the last sentence, and then verses 17 and 18. Okay, this is God's Word. It says, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Here's his illustration, verse 17. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain. And the earth produced its crops. This is God's word. Today, I just have one major idea, one major thought that I want to hammer into our hearts uh, from different directions. Who are we? This is who we are. We're a family okay, of ordinary people who believe God can do extraordinary things through prayer. Okay, that's who we are. Okay, we're not a family of superstars. We're not a family of superheroes. We're not a family of people who the world praises and looks at and says, wow, you know what? They've got some amazing people. That's not who we are. Here's who we are. We're a family of just really ordinary people who believe that God can do extraordinary things through prayer, right? That's who we are. We've seen it time and time again. Matt and Michelle have testified to that 
we're going to see it more. We have every opportunity to see it more and more, and that's why I want us to get on board and to see that this is who we are. We're a family of ordinary people, really ordinary people, normal people who believe that God can do extraordinary things when his people pray. We see this here. Elijah was a man just like us, right? Just like you and just like me. The reason he says that is because just like us, the people in those days had a way of almost like mystifying or definitely mythologizing the heroes of their day. We have a way of doing this, right? If you have someone that is your celebrity crush or, man, if I could just have one meal with anyone who's ever lived in life, I would like to have one meal with whomever it might be, Elon Musk. It might be maybe uh, Selena Gomez. It may be uh, Steph Curry. I don't know who it is for you, but you have these dreams, these people that you look up to and you hail them as heroes, and you're like, man, these people, like, that's the one person I'd want to sit down and have a meal with. But chances are, if we were able to have a meal with them, we probably wouldn't know what to say. We'd probably be a little bit tongue-tied. We'd probably be starstruck and awestruck. Wouldn't know what to say, really. Maybe we'd start sweating. Maybe we'd, uh, when we get to, the, get to the restaurant, say, you know what, I don't think I want to go through with this. Because we have a way of thinking that there's something superhuman about these people. We have a way of mythologizing these heroes. So when something happens that takes the mystique away from them, that takes the myth away from them, we begin to think, well, there's something weird about that, right? When, when, um, when the amazing singer, right, that Grammy-nominated singer tries to sing a note and they squeak, you're like, oh my gosh, what, how could that happen? How could that happen? Or when you see a picture on, uh, I don't know, some celebrity website where a paparazzi caught that supermodel or that famous actress without makeup on. You look at them and you're like, oh my goodness, like that's weird. Because we don't think that these people we see in the music videos, in the magazines, on the TV shows, in the movies could possibly look like us. <laughs> There's something strange about that because we have a way of lifting up these people and putting them on a pedestal and making them seem completely different than people like you and me. Now, it was celebrities, it's celebrities like that today, it's movie stars, it's heroes like that today. But in those days, who were the heroes of the day? It was people like Elijah. And the people that James was writing to, Christians, they had a way of seeing their celebrities also. They had a way of seeing their superstars also. And when people thought of the name Elijah, there's one word that they thought. They thought miracles, okay? They thought Elijah was a man of miracles. This is what he does. So here he is. They think about Elijah, they think, well, he's a man who prayed to God, and at the will of God, he raised the dead. Here's a man who was fed miraculously by ravens. Here's a man who went to a widow's house, and she only had a, a, a little a drop of oil left. And through his prayers and through the favor of God on his life, the oil continued to produce so that she could continue to eat, and she could continue to feed herself and her son, the uh, the jar of oil never ran out. So when people thought about Elijah, they're like, here's this miracle worker. He's completely unlike any of us. One of, the greatest, one of the greatest moments of Elijah's life, I don't know if you remember this, but the true story of Elijah is told in 1 Kings 17 all the way until 2 Kings 2. He kind of comes up out of nowhere and then he leaves in a cloud of glory and is ascended into heaven in 2 Kings chapter 2. But throughout his life, he becomes the greatest prophet that Israel has ever known doing these amazing miracles that cause people to think, wow, Elijah is the man. His name, Elijah, means there's no one like our God. There's no one like Yahweh. 
And throughout his life, people were looking at Elijah as he stood against the culture and saying literally through his life, man, that God that Elijah serves, there's nobody like him in all the world. All of our lives should testify to that. People ought to look at our lives and say, you know what? The God of Aaron Hines, there's nobody like him. The God of Hannah Chu, there's nobody like her in him in all the world. The God of Monica Lee, nobody like that God. That's what Elijah's life was like. His life was a living, walking miracle. And in the, probably the high point of his career, 1 Kings 17, tells about how Elijah is going in this worship war against all of these prophets of the false god Baal. They were in a drought time, and, and Elijah says the drought came because he was pronouncing the judgment of God over the people. And so this is what he's saying here, that he prayed for three and a half years and it didn't rain at all. And as Elijah prays, just one prayer, fire from heaven comes down, and God shows that he is the true and living God. And people begin to worship God, and it's this crazy moment in time. So after that, Elijah flees. And in 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 42 through 45, you can read the true story. It's this amazing passage where Elijah is now ready to pray for it to rain. After three and a half years, can you imagine? For three and a half years, it hasn't rained. We've been in a pandemic for the better part of a year and a half. So add two more years to that, and that's how long it hasn't rained. Imagine what would happen to the grass, what would happen to the crops, what would happen to the farmland. All of these things are being destroyed for three and a half years. People are dying. There's no food anywhere. For three and a half years, it's been going on like that. And Elijah says, I'm going to pray to God to put an end to this drought, and we're going to see God show up so that everybody knows that there's no God like our God. And so it says in 1 Kings 18, 42, that he goes up onto the mountain and he puts his head between his knees to pray, right? That's kind of weird, but Elijah does weird things like that. He puts his head between his knees and he begins to pray for it to rain. And as he's praying, he calls his servant over and he's like, hey, servant, can you go look and see if there's any sign of rain? Look and see if there's any sign of rain. The servant goes out to look to see if there's any sign of rain and he comes back and he's like, uh, I'm sorry to say, boss, but there's no sign of rain at all, no sign of rain whatsoever. Elijah's been going to town praying here, and so instead of saying, okay, maybe it's not the will of God that we don't pray for rain, he said, I'm going to pray more because I believe that God wants to alleviate the people of God from their suffering. And so he prays, he puts his head between his knees again because he doesn't care what anyone else says. He doesn't care what he sees or does not see. He's going to walk by faith and not by sight. So he puts his head between his knees and he says, God, send your rain. And then he calls his servant over and he says, servant of God, can you come and see, go and see if there's any sign of rain. And the servant goes out and he looks and he looks and he comes back and he says, boss, Sorry, but there's not a cloud in the sky. Elijah goes and he prays again a third time. He sends a servant forth, nothing. Fourth time, sends a servant forth, nothing. Fifth time, sends a servant to look, nothing. Sixth time, nothing. At what point do you quit? But the seventh time, he prays and he prays and he prays and he, gets, he sends his servant away and his servant comes back and he says, Elijah, there is a cloud in the sky as size of a man's hand rising up from the sea. And after three and a half years of drought, the first rains begin to fall, and the people of God say, there's no one like our God. And as that story was told from generation to generation, the people of God in Israel are saying, dang, that man Elijah is a baller. 
Who could do the things that God did through Elijah? Who on earth could be used of God in that way? Well, James says here, Elijah was a man just like us. He woke up on Monday morning and didn't want to go to work just like us, didn't want to go to school. He woke up in the morning, he had to go to the bathroom just like we do. He was a man who wanted to put on his pants. If he wore pants, he'd put them on one leg at a time just like us. Saying Elijah was a human being just like each and every single one of us. Yet God used him to do some pretty amazing things in this life. What is James saying? Here's what James is saying. The greatness of the miracles that God did through Elijah was not because of the greatness of Elijah. Because of the greatness of God willing to work through one ordinary person who was willing to be used by God. This is who we are. This is Daniel, and this is Sean, and this is Aaron, and this is Jason and G, and this is us. This is who we are. We're, ju we're just a group of ordinary people who believe that God could do extraordinary things when we pray. Do you believe this? Nobody but me. Man, I believe this. Do you, do you believe that this is who you are, an ordinary person just like Elijah, that God could use to do things that go beyond what you could ever imagine? He had no idea. He had no idea. In fact, who's, when people think about Elijah, they think, well, he's this miracle worker, but in reality, he was depressed. He was kind of crazy in the head. He was burnt out. He was stressed out. He was tired. He had a death wish on his life. That's some of us. He was anxious. He was fearful. He said, woe is me. I'm the only one. He was a self-pitying guy. That's who Elijah was. That's a little bit more like us, isn't it? James is saying Elijah was a man just like us. The greatness of the miracles that God did through Elijah was not because of the greatness of the man. It was the greatness of the God that that man worshipped. And the sooner we begin to realize this, because the, the, the challenge is when we begin to mythologize, again, these celebrities, then we begin to think that they can, what they do can only be done by people like them. And we don't think that's accessible to people like us. And that's why what James is doing is he is utterly humanizing Elijah, bringing him back to the appropriate level, just like you, and just like me. And God can do miracles through anyone if they're willing to believe that God can use them to do it. Sometimes when you talk to people these days, say, well, this is, I mean, come on, this is like 3,000 years ago. That's crazy. Even in the New Testament, like the things, the miracles that Jesus did, that's like 2,000 years ago. That's like, that's old news. Sometimes you talk to people these days, right? Maybe you're a youth student and you hang out and, and you play basketball and these old men walk up to you or old women walk up to you and they say, you know what, when I was your age, I used to play basketball. I used to be really good. 
Like I used to be able to shoot three-pointers like you do, but I would make them all the time. Or they would see you doing like gymnastics and cartwheels. Oh, my gosh, you know, when I was your age, when I was young, I could do like, I could do like uh, cartwheels without using my hands, and I could flip like 15 times. I was like an amazing gymnast. And, and these young people, maybe they're, maybe they're motivated. Like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. Can you do it now? And, or, or maybe they're skeptical, and they're like, Can you, what, what about now? Can you show us? And, and here's the excuse. It's oh, I'm really old now. Or I haven't, I haven't tried in a really long time. Or oh, I don't want to hurt myself. Or, you know, that was a long time ago. That's what we say. And so it makes the young people say, you know what? I don't believe you ever did it then. I don't believe you could do that. God did these things in human history. But you say, but God, you can't, can you do it again? He's like, whatever I can do, whatever I've done, if I did it once, I can do it again. Whatever God's done, like God hasn't changed. He hasn't gotten older. He hasn't gotten tired. He doesn't need to stretch to do a miracle. If he did anything in the New Testament, if he did anything in the Old Testament, if he did anything ever, then he could do it again. Like that's our God. He's just looking for someone through whom he could do it. Looking for people who would believe that he can do it. And throughout the history of our church, this is what we've seen. We've seen time and time again God show up to do things in our lives that we didn't think were possible, but he used simple, ordinary, normal people to do that. When, when I began ministry here, my, my pastor in Virginia, he said to me, hey, the first thing that you've got to do, first thing that you've got to do or the most important thing you can do uh, with your time there is um, teach people how to pray. And pastor IJ said to me, because praying people will change the world. Like praying people will change the world. You can do many good things in life, says Peter Chung, who founded Jima. He says, you can do a lot of good things in life, but nothing great in life will ever happen apart from prayer. See that within the church, guys, you can do a lot of good things. Can I tell you something? You can, you can lead a good set of worship without praying. I could preach a good sermon without praying. You can lead a house church meeting or a Bible study or do something that share your testimony without praying. You can do a, a lot of good things without praying. But you can't do anything great. You can't do anything great apart from prayer. Let's not settle for just being good. God has opened the door to the, to, for us to be a family of just ordinary people through whom he does extraordinary things because we believe God hears the prayers of his people and whatever he did then, he can do it again. Like, that's our God. I think about through the years when you, you don't know. It, guys, if you, if you don't know, well, you don't know what you don't know. And that's why a lot of times we have to talk about the history and the story and to see where we've been in order for us to know where we're going. Now you, you come here, you don't, know, you don't know much about the history of our church, where we started a small group of people meeting in a trailer in Pine Hills. You don't know all of that stuff. You don't know the stories. But anything good that's happened in our church, anything good that's happened in this congregation is because you trace that directly back to somebody having been praying for something 
and God hearing that and saying, you know what, I want to use ordinary people to do the work of God, and he blesses it, and he's breathing on it. The first thing we did when we started outside of, of, of doing, you know, my, my buddy said, hey, when you start out at a ministry at a church, don't do anything for two years. Don't change anything. Just get to know the people and work within the existing structure. And then after a couple years, you can begin changing things once you've earned the credibility and the right to do that. First thing we did, we just said, hey, on Wednesday nights, we're going to gather together and pray. Wednesday nights, we're going to pray. And anyone who wants to fast can, can fast on Wednesdays also. And we began these prayer meetings and we began to see God work, and we began to see God move within our midst. Anything good that's happened, man, sometimes it'll be five people. Sometimes it would just be uh, Eugene and me. Sometimes it would just be me by myself just sitting there saying, all right, David, can you lead us in prayer? Certainly, David. Can you lead us in worship today? Certainly, David. All right, after we pray this prayer topic, David, can you pray for us? Absolutely. It would be just be me, myself, and the Holy Spirit of God, and we'd just be praying but I knew that if we stack prayer meeting upon prayer meeting upon prayer meeting upon prayer meeting, at some point the, the, the needle's going to shift and God's going to begin to do things within our midst. Anything good, anything great that's happened within the life of our church, your church, this church, is directly connected to somebody having lifted up prayers to God and believing that he could do something through these prayers. Every time we gather for prayer meeting, it might seem like we're praying for the same things over and over and things don't seem to be changing. Sometimes you've got to walk around the walls seven times before they begin to fall. Sometimes you've got to pray and ask your servant to go forth seven times before you begin to see a cloud rising up. But this is how God works because this is us. This is who we are. My, one of my favorite times as we begin another session of Harvest 201 is when we get together, we share prayer requests, and for the next three months, we're going to pray together for certain prayer requests. And this morning, as I was in my office, I was praying for the class of 16 people that are beginning today. As I was praying for them, I was thinking about, I was thinking about some of our previous Harvest 201 classes. And I went into my file cabinet, and I, I, I pulled out this, this piece of paper that has, the, this is the second ever class of Harvest 201 in 2009. It was our second class, and and every year, people give prayer requests for the rest of the class to pray about. And then on the last day, after we're all done, we get together and we celebrate with, uh, uh, with a meal and with a party. And then we go through these prayer requests. And we talk about how God has answered these prayers or how we're still waiting for them to be answered. This particular class, I mean, uh, some of these folks are still here. Some of them have moved on. But if you've been here long enough, you recognize some of these people. Uh, our former youth pastor, Martin, Pray, help me to balance school, ministry, my fiancé, other relationships, to time management, for provision for our wedding, for God to be glorified, for guidance in our planning, to be a good fiancé and husband. Um, a girl named Yeti said, pray that I would love God more. Um, Albert Kang, who's leading us in worship, said, uh, help me to find a good job or a paid internship. Help my mom to come to know Christ. Joshua Kim Tico for me to become more knowledgeable of, about the Bible and for me to find out my future career. Min Sun Kim, that I would really know God and lay a stronger foundation for my faith to know where God wants me to be and where he wants to lead me, to be able to understand success all in the context of his plan. Kenneth Cook, to keep my focus on God and not on myself. Hong Shin, for business, uh, my parents' business to pick up, for me to keep hungering after God. And as each of these people shared, and then there was a, an old, uh, there was a couple of those a, a little bit older than them, Chris, uh, Chris and Haley Lee. They were there also. And as we were having that time, like it was such a time of, of just joyful testifying to how God had answered 
the prayer requests of people. And just one by one, man, they were just talking about, man, I, I, I love God more. I found an amazing job. My mom came to know Jesus. Now I finally found out what God wants me to do. I'm going to go into to music. All of these prayer requests being answered. And the last one to share was, um, was Haley. Now uh, Chris and Haley are house church shepherds of the Fukuoka House Church. She said, this was our prayer request for Chris to have a stronger faith and knowledge of God and his words. Chris and Haley were not house church shepherds back then. Uh, no one would have voted Chris to be an elder candidate at that time. They were just, you know, they were a married couple coming out to church, and he prayed for that, and he prayed that he, I would grow and lead my family in a godly way in accordance to his words. Haley prayed for a baby and to build a habit of praying and reading scripture with my husband and to feel comfort and support in sharing our faith and doubts, etc., with each other. And as each person shared how God had answered their prayers in the way that they wanted God to answer them, um, Haley said, man, my husband grew stronger in his faith and in the knowledge of God and his words, and he's becoming a man that I respect uh, in his faith. He's growing and he's leading his family. He's leading us, leading me as we've been able throughout these three months to, to pray and to read the Word of God for our 201 assignment, and now we're comfortable in, in supporting each other and being able to understand and, and to be able to tell each other everything. And our marriage is growing and He's leading us. That God has answered all of these prayers for all of our class. But I don't have a baby yet. And I remember these young people, 18 years old, 19 years old, 20 years old. In the midst of all of that rejoicing, like this in a sense, like that became their mission. Chris and Haley were by far the older people within that, that class. And these were just kind of young uh, college students who were just excited and, and ready to wreck the world for Christ. And all of a sudden, they're like, man, our older brother and sister... Right, they're blazing the trail for us, and we, we want to see this. So we rejoice with those who rejoice, and then we mourn with those who mourn, and we're going to pray. We're going to continue to pray. This was in 2009, the end of 2009, and they're praying, and they're praying, and they're praying. Fast forward a few years later. It's been years later, and I remember uh, one day uh, Chris and Haley said, hey, can we, get, um, can we just meet together with our old Harvest 201 class? It was a Sunday after a worship service. So we got together, and I, I think the group had already gone out to like Jersey Mites or something like that, uh, Winter Garden Village. And so um, I remember Chris and Haley and myself, we got out there, um, sat down, and, and, and the young guys and gals didn't really know why we were gathering. But when she shared the news with them, the guys, uh, Chris and I want to share that we're pregnant. And that place blew up. That place blew up. Can you imagine guys like Kenny and Albert just jumping up and down, hooting and hollering because they knew, they knew that God was faithful to his promises and to his people and that he would not deny his people. And I was looking at that and I said, man, this is what we are. This is, a, we're a family, guys. We're a family, just ordinary people who believe that God can do extraordinary things when his people pray. 
This is, this is one of, like, and Matt and Michelle shared other things. I, we could go on of people's being healed from illness, people being released from uh, addictions, people being set free from bondage, people with depression and anxiety being set free, house churches being trained. I mean, we go on and on. People whose eternity has been changed by faith in Christ. Hopeless people, hope which was lost, all of a sudden through the prayers of the saints, now stands in screaming rebellion against the status quo, hope given to people. And this is who we are. We're not some great people who are using our amazing gifts in order that a broken world could see the greatness of our church. That's not who we are. We're a family of ordinary people, just really ordinary people, just like Elijah. Ordinary people who just, God, we don't have much to offer to you, but whatever you say in the Bible, we just want to do that. We want to do that because we believe that the prayers of the righteous man and woman are powerful and effective because we believe that this is who we are. And whatever God's done in the past, he's able to do now. This is our God, and this is who we are. And as soon as we begin to see that, as soon as we begin to believe that, as soon as we begin to go to the mat in prayer, we say, God, you can do it. Would you do it again? Would you do it again? Lord, we've heard of your fame. We stand in awe of your deeds, Habakkuk says. Would you do them again? Would you renew them in our day and in our time? Make your glory known. This is who we are. Just a group of ordinary people that believe in an awesome God who's able to do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. Because throughout history, this is how God works. This is how God works. Time and time again, it says, Elijah was a man just like us. What is he saying? He's saying, if you're a human, just like Elijah. He doesn't say Elijah was a prophet just like me or just like some of us. Or Elijah was a super Christian just like a few of y'all. He doesn't say that. He says, Elijah's just a person just like you and just like me, just like my Manny, just like her daddy, just like Jaden, just like Alyssa, just like all of us. That's who, that, Elijah, just like us. What is he saying? He's saying, let me, take the, let me take the ball that some of us have given and passed it to the leaders of the church and say, you guys be the ones who pray for us. And, and, and James is saying, let me put the ball back into your hands and say, you are just like Elijah. Doesn't matter who you are, how long you've been walking with Jesus. He puts it back in our hands because you see, not everyone, not everyone, not everyone can grab a guitar and lead us in worship. Not everyone can come up here and preach the word of God. Not everyone can can share the gospel in a way that is winsome like some of you can. But what he's saying is every single one of us can pray. And if it doesn't matter how young or old you are, how much faith you think you have, as long as you can pray, you can see miracles the way that Elijah did. That's what he's saying. However, whatever your level of education, whatever your level of socioeconomic wealth, none of that matters. Just a person like us. Some of you will become pregnant one day. Maybe you're pregnant. You're going to have a child. In the middle of the night, you're going to wake up, and you're going to be feeding that child or changing that child's diaper, and you're going to be so frustrated because the things that you used to be able to do when you were single or when you didn't have kids, you're not able to do now. It's going to be frustrating to you. 
because you used to meet up with other girls and you used to disciple them, or you used to have all-night prayer meetings with your friends, or you used to go and you used to teach youth ministry, you used to teach kids, but now you can't do that because you don't have time, you don't have energy, and you're going to be so frustrated. There are a million things that you think you cannot do, but the one thing you can do is you can change the world at 3 a.m. as you pray, as you nurse your baby. Anybody can do that. A baby who's learning how to talk can pray to God, and their prayers could change the world. Anybody can pray. That, that office has been opened up to every single person who claims the name of Jesus as their Savior. That's, all, that's, that's, that's not a few. Yeah, it begins with our leaders, absolutely. That's something that shepherds, teachers, leaders, pastors, we, cannot, we can outsource a lot of things, we can delegate a lot of things, but it's one thing we cannot delegate out is the ministry of prayer. We can't. But it also means that every person, okay, every person, none of us can outsource that to anybody else either. Like, that's us. One of my favorite uh, preachers of all time, he's with Jesus now, his name is Charles Spurgeon. He was known as a pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle in, in England, and his church was thriving. And through his preaching and through their church, so many people came to know Jesus. And other ministers around town would ask him, how did you become so great? Like, how does your church become so great? What is the secret to your church? Because when I preach, people fall asleep. But when you preach, people come to know Jesus. What's the difference? They say, why don't you come to my church? I'll give you a tour of the church. They say, we don't want a tour of the church. We just want to know your secret. You got to just come. Come to the church. I want to show you around my church. And they said, no, just tell us. Can you just tell us? He said, the secret is in the tour said, all right, we'll come and do your tour. So he came and he's like, welcome to the Metropolitan Tabernacle. This is the sanctuary where we worship. This is the office where I prepare my sermons. This is the kitchen, all this stuff. And they're obviously waiting to get to the prize at the bottom of the box, right? When are you going to tell us the secret? He's like, last room, we got to go to the furnace. Like, we don't care about the furnace. Nobody wants to see the furnace of the church. He's like, you need to see the furnace of the church. So he opened the door to the furnace, and it was this dimly lit room. And as soon as he opened the door, you hear people crying out in prayer to God. Young men, old women, little children, elderly women, whomever it might be, just calling out to God, praying, asking, bombarding the heavens, seeking, knocking on the door of heaven. The people on the tour were dumbfounded. It's like, welcome to the furnace. It's the secret of the church. If you don't have a furnace in the church, the church is not going to produce the kind of power that you so desperately long to have in your church. Brothers and sisters, as we charter out as a church in a few months, we desperately, desperately need people to join the furnace, the church. You join the furnace every time you come out to Wednesday prayer meeting and you stack a coal in that fire. Come out whenever you join our three-strand prayer meetings and you begin to call on God to do what no one else can do. You join the furnace every time you get into your own prayer closet and you begin to pray that God's power and His glory would fall in our church and through our church to the ends of the earth. This is where the furnace and the secret of the church is. 
there's no illusion, man, guys. We are just ordinary people. And if we want to see the church not only survive into the next generation, but thriving for generation after generation, there's got to be a growing furnace within our church. This is you. No matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, this is you. You are part of the furnace that's going to drive this church. And when you stand before God in glory, and he says, why? <laughs> I hope he doesn't say this, but this is what one pastor says. He says, why didn't you pray the way that you should have? This is what he said of another, in another time period. John Piper said, on Judgment Day, the gift of Snapchat, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook will be so that we stand before God on Judgment Day. The reason for our lack of prayer was not because we did not have enough time. And that will be the redeeming value of our Netflix binging and our Korean video watching and our YouTube constant streaming. Not that those are bad things in other of themselves. They're not. But when that becomes a hindrance to us being able to fight for the glory of God on our knees on the battlefield of prayer, then that has become to us something other than it was meant to be. Same is true of video games. Same is true of whatever it is that keeps us from being able to pray. Because you see, throughout the history of our church, and God has been doing a pretty amazing work through an ordinary group of people who just dared to believe that God hears our prayers. And whatever God's done in the past, He's able to do that and more in the future. Because this is us. I want to uh, share something that I wrote a few years back. And I don't share this as being something novel because you don't need something novel. That's why we watch reruns of TV shows. Because we're not always looking for something new. We're looking for something that was good. And so I read this not because it's new, but I think it's because it shows the goodness of God. Some of you have heard this before. Some of you were here in the event that I'm talking about. But this is something I wrote August 20th, 2012, so nine years ago. We just passed the nine-year mark of when this day happened. Basically, um, in August 4, 2012, it was a year after um, our dear son and brother Tico uh, went home to be with Jesus on the mission field of, of Ecuador. And about a year and two months later, right after a mission trip to Ecuador again, the one year after the one-year mark of Tico's entrance into glory, uh, we had a worship service, and, and this is what I wrote um, at that time. It says, since August 4th of last year, God has been up to something in our church. Of course, it was long before that also, but that's when a lot of us started putting the pieces together had our eyes wide open. That was the night, August 4th, when one of our team members was supposed to share his testimony at a church in Ecuador, the testimony of a God who makes beautiful things out of dust. That day he asked me at least five times if he was going to share his testimony, and I assured him that he would, but he would not, because that day Tico went home to be with Jesus. When he asked over and over if he would still be able to share, it's like he knew something the rest of us didn't, and he wanted to prepare us for it. My congregation is not unfamiliar with death and hardship. Last year was the third summer in a row that someone 
in or close to our congregation had passed away. C.S. Lewis says, God whispers in our pleasure, shouts to us in our pain to awaken a sleeping world. When we first tasted death, it's like he knew something the rest of us didn't. He wanted to prepare us for it. The year since then has not been easy, but I cannot say it's not been good. Through the past year, God has been refining, healing, challenging, deepening, and ruining us, but it has God's fingerprints all over it. Through the ashes, beauty indeed is rising. I didn't start writing just to share all that God's been doing the past year, and it's been a lot. I started writing because I wanted to share about my thoughts on yesterday, what God did in our worship service. Suffice it to say, uh, through God's work in us the past year, our congregation is rising up to be bolder, more radical, more urgent, more willing to let go, and more willing to move out of comfortable places. But these are stories for another time, so about yesterday. So what I'm going to read is what I wrote about this worship service. Some of you were there this day. I want you to remember what God did in your heart and what God is calling you to do in response as you think about it again. It says, I had a sense deep in my spirit that God had something special in store for us. I'm always excited for Sunday worship, but in my prayers for our service yesterday, there was a, this heightened sense of anticipation. I didn't know what exactly it was, but I knew that God wanted to move in unhindered through our space, and the best thing for us be to not stand in the way. During our prayers of preparation, right, that's when the presider says, let's pray, there's a tangible feel of hunger for God's presence. Songs of praise were right out of Scripture and were singing back to God what He had already told us. We proclaimed God's holiness and His worth. I felt like He was delighting over His people and we were delighting in Him. We then heard three testimonies from people who had just been to Ecuador. All three were different, yet so poignant. James shared that we are voices calling out to the lost to come home. Alex shared about the blessing of obeying and not avoiding the call of God. And Joseph, Tico's brother, shared of the work of healing, growth, and ministry that God has done in him these past weeks. I felt like the service could have ended then. I was so full, but we hadn't even allowed God to speak through his word so our guest speaker that day, James Cha, felt the Spirit lead in a different direction of the message he had prepared. So instead of talking about God's work in North Korea, he talked about the cost of serving Jesus. He talked about how we are called to let it all go for Christ. He talked about how it's worth it to die to our dreams. He talked about how there will not be fruit unless we die. He talked about trusting Jesus and how we lay it all down. God will always take care of us. He talked about seeking first God's kingdom. And he illustrated with examples from life and God's spirit was heavy in that place, almost like he was so welcome there that he just wanted to linger. And so as we gave our offerings and his tithes back to him, we sang, give us clean hands. There was again this tangible sense of genuine longing, oh God, let us be a generation that seeks your face, oh God of Jacob. Let us not lift our soul to another. As we're singing, I felt God was saying to me, I want more than a song, more than a dollar, more than a Sunday. Give them a chance to give all of themselves. I felt like there was at least one person that God was calling into missions and God wanted to confirm that. I didn't know who, but I wanted to pray for them. I wanted to have James and Faith pray for them as we opened the door 
the altar to those who wanted to give their lives and surrender for missions or for ministry or for being used by God in their schools and workplaces. I didn't expect to see what I saw wasn't a trickle, but a flood, a stream of people would counter the cost and say, Lord, here I am. Take all of me. The altar, that area in the front of the sanctuary was full. People were stacked on top of each other. There wasn't enough time wish I had pictures, but the ones in my mind are still clear. Middle schoolers, hands raised high in surrender to the one who gave it all. High schoolers, hands wiping away tears, aware of the cost of following Jesus. College folks with hands lifted to receive more of God as they head into this school year. Single folks with hands in their faces covering tears of heaven-sent joy. Married folks walking hand in hand, committing their futures and their families to Christ. Slowly but surely since that time, stories are coming in and people are wanting to talk about all that God was doing in their lives. People are sharing convictions and seeking what it means for their present and their future. I believe that every person who was at our worship service yesterday was there for a divine purpose. And when God brought us there, it's like he knew something the rest of us didn't. He wanted to prepare us for it. God is doing something in my little congregation outside of Orlando. He's raising up generations. He's calling us out of comforts, out of lukewarmness, out of excuse-laden living. I think to myself, our church is far from perfect, but I love it because it's mine. And then God says, actually, it's mine. And I say that's even better. It's even more reason to love it. God is taking us on a journey. I don't know how to explain it. I'm just thankful to be in the car. I'm fastening my seatbelt because the ride will be wild, and if he's driving, I don't want to get out of the car to be continued. And on and on it goes. The story of this little family of ordinary people who believe in an extraordinary God to do amazing things when we pray continues on today and you're part of this story and you're part of this family you're part of what God is doing so the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective and God has used countless people well hold on you think I'm not very righteous do my prayers count well, the good thing is that Romans 3:10 tells us that there's no one righteous not even one no one is James wasn't righteous. Elijah wasn't righteous. I wasn't righteous, neither were you. But somehow God washed our prayers in the righteousness of another. Who is this righteous man whose prayers are powerful and effective? Well, James knew him well. It was his half-brother, Jesus. Jesus is the righteous man whose prayers are powerful and effective. Well, when Jesus came into the world and lived and died for us, the righteous died for the unrighteous once and for all to bring us to God. Not only did Jesus become unrighteous for us on the cross, but he transferred his righteousness upon us as well so that in his righteousness we stand, faultless stand before the throne so that our prayers are now washed in the perfect blood of Jesus so that you and I become the righteous one whose prayers are powerful and effective. That's why we have this privilege. See, praying to God is not a duty 
It's not a burden. It's not a chore. It's an amazing opportunity to partner with the God of the universe in the extraordinary, amazing work that he's doing in our world that we get to be part of this. The prayers of a righteous man or woman then are powerful and effective. This is us, a family of ordinary people, believe God can do extraordinary things as we pray, simple people like us. That's the furnace he's calling us to join. Let's pray together. Let's pray together for uh, just a moment. You know, today we went a few moments longer than we need, than we usually do. But we're going to ask God that whatever he's done in the past, he's gonna, that he would do it again. Let's pray to the Lord God. Anything he's done in the past, God, he's able to do today, and he's able to do tomorrow, he's able to do in the future. He wants to. He's just looking for people. God wants to set fire to somebody that's looking for wood to burn. God's looking for someone to do his miraculous work through. He's just looking for people to believe that you will see a cloud when you begin to pray. Let's pray together for a couple moments. God Almighty, my church needs me. My church needs a furnace to burn bright so that the power of God would be manifest. Lord God Almighty, our church needs a furnace, and I want to be, be, be part of that furnace. I want to make that furnace big so that things happen within our church that are unexplainable outside of the miraculous work of God. Lord, I want to join the furnace of God in our church. Let's pray together like that. Can we do that? Let's pray. Lord, make me into a man or woman of prayer. I want to be that person. I want to be that person. No more excuses. No more putting it off. No more saying it's someone else's job. But this is me because this is us. And I'm part of this family. Let's pray together. Can we do that? Why don't we do this? Let's stand together. Let's stand together as a sign of our commitment to the Lord. Lord, I, wanna, I, want, your, I want my prayers to be heard in glory. I want my prayers to avail much. I want my prayers to be effective in pushing back the darkness and bringing the kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. So let's do that. Let's pray. If you want to pray out loud, you can do that as our praise team plays in the background before we sing. If you want to pray out loud, you can do that. If you want to pray quietly, you can do that. But let's pray. Again, if you're with someone next to you that you, you feel comfortable putting your arm around them, you can do that and pray for each other. Lord, may we become a people of prayer. Let's pray just a minute like that together. Just one minute honest, earnest, sincere prayer. Lord, as a sign of what is to come, Lord, make me into a man and woman of prayer. And let's do that now here for a few moments. Just one minute before we sing to the Lord God. Lord Jesus, we need you. Come, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh upon us. Lord, we need your touch. God, we need your conviction. Lord, we need your spirit to move within us, to awaken things that may be dormant, Lord, to give life to things, Lord, that may be weary. Father, that you would pour new strength and new vision, that you would give us eyes of faith again and that you would help us to see it's not the size of the man or the woman, it's not the greatness of the person, but it's the greatness of the God that we believe that is able to, uh, that allows us to see things beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. 
Father, help us to believe that all the things that you've done in the past, all the miracles you've done and all the lives that have been changed, all the things that we've seen with our own eyes here as a congregation, that whatever you've done, that's only the scratching of the surface. There's so much more that you want to do, more people you want to save, more people you want to heal, more people you want to empower, more people you want to release, more people you want to send forth into their destiny, more people you want to launch into the world, into the mission field, into uh, works of ministry, into health church shepherding, more people that you want to call forth to do the work of God in bold and reckless abandonment to you, in joyful surrender to you. Lord Almighty, we pray that you would do this. Father, we need you. God Almighty, come. Father in heaven, as we take steps to be the church that you want us to be, Lord, we pray that you would raise up a mighty army of prayer, a mighty movement of people who believe that you can do things beyond what we could ever ask or imagine according to your power, that is a work in us, the power that raised Christ from the dead. Lord, we believe in the same God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of ages, the God of generations past, the God of our fathers, the God of our today, the God of our children. Lord, would you do it again, and would you do it again through us? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.